This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Been a while since we last chatted. A lot has happened. Yeah, you know, it's just it's strange. You know, um, obviously with with John being gone now, but but it's just on a larger scale. Everything, everyone's has seen seems to have lost their mind. You know, um, I don't know if that's just a side effect of, of COVID or you know, and the lockdowns or or everything. But maybe I feel like maybe the the lockdowns and all of that restrictiveness kind of ripped the bandaid off, if you will, of, of the problems that were just lying under the surface, you know, and now we're seeing all of that kind of being played out um, mm. all over the world. Take me back to the start. Tell me your background. Um, so I am um, from California and I'm the youngest of five. Um, there's uh, four girls and, and a boy in our in my family, and I'm an '80s baby, the only '80s baby in my family. So a little bit rebellious, um, maybe maybe a little bit more than a little bit rebellious, but but we won't get into that. Um, and and I have three beautiful children whom I love dearly, and I was married to a very amazing man. And so um, you know, I guess that's. That's probably the most fascinating parts of me. <laughs> um, we actually met in Miami, uh, South Beach. We met at a coffee shop. He was standing in front of um, the news cafe, which is right on Ocean Drive. And he was smoking a cigarette and I came up to him and asked him for a cigarette. And that's how we met, yeah. That's simple. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, there, obviously there was other background happening. I was actually, uh, you know, working as a prostitute. When I met him, um, I was in an extremely abusive relationship and I had a pimp who was uh, beating me regularly. And there was, um, you know, many other women that came, came and left working for him. And so at the time, you know, when I, when I met John, that's what, that's why I was out, you know, on, on ocean drive, you know, um, with another girlfriend of mine who was also working. And so, um, yeah, that's how, that's how we met. And we, we had a very interesting conversation for a couple of hours. We sat in front of the news cafe. Um, you know, he wasn't interested in, in any of my, um, services and, um, <laughs> he just wanted a, he just wanted a cup of coffee, which, okay, was understandable, but, but I had no idea who he was. And so, um, you know, I kind of asked him, well, well, who are you? You know, what brings you to Miami? Are you here on business and ple or pleasure? And he was kind of taken aback by that because he was like, well, um, you know, I, you don't know my story. You don't know who I am. And I was like, no, I have no idea. He's like, well, I've been top of the news for like months. And especially in Miami at the time, I had no idea. But, but you know, I didn't watch the news. So um, that's why I didn't know. And so... Um, he was a little bit offended, I think, maybe, <laughs> that I didn't know who he was. And so um, so he proceeded to tell me, you know, who he was and, and you know, kind of tell me his side of the story of, of what happened, you know, in Belize and how he came mm -hmm. to be deported to Miami. And, and, and that's how we met. Yeah. And that's what we talked about, I guess. Did you really not know who he was? Yeah, no, I had no idea. I told you, like, I didn't watch the news. I watched, like, reality TV, and I played video games. You know, that was what I did for, you know, for my time. You know, as far as, I, I still don't really watch the news. Um, yeah. Even now, it's just 
very depressing. And so, so yeah, no, I had no idea who he was, what his story was. Um, and even after meeting him, I didn't Google him. I, I didn't, um, you know, to try to find out what the news was talking about. I, you know, um, my pimp did, obviously, and he was sharing, you know, what was being said about John. But me personally, I didn't, I didn't want to look into what was being said about him online. I wanted to know the man, you know, mm. the man who I met, you know. And so um, I did, however, see the first photos of us that were taken to get of us together when we were in South Beach, which was, um, which was kind of unnerving a little bit, seeing yourself, you know, um, in the online, you know, publication that way. Um, but I think, I think for me, it was important to just get to know John by being with John, you know, mm. um, that was, that was important to me. Would you mind taking me back just a little bit and tell me what happened? So let's see, uh, we, we ended up in, in Europe, um, July, 2019, and we did a lot of traveling. We had, we went on a road trip, a European road trip, which was really, really nice. We went to Italy and, and Germany. And he wore a G string. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Just, yeah, uh, that was his, um, that was his face mask, right? Um, and he would pick the, he would pick the most um, obvious, you know, pair of underwear that I had that looked like underwear. He had a red pair. I don't know if he showed that on Twitter, but he had a red pair and people would see him, you know, some people would get be very angry, be very visibly angry because they felt like he wasn't taking it serious. And then, but most people laughed. Most people thought it was funny and thought it was entertaining. Um, and so, um, so yeah, we were having a, a lovely time, you know, here in Spain and in Europe in, in general. And we, um, John, I guess, had some friends that he was going to go meet in Turkey. And I was not to travel with him, he said. And so he's going to go by himself. And he, um, so he went to the Barcelona airport, which we had flown out, uh, I think maybe in August. So not that long before he was arrested and the same airport. And we had no problems with his passport or anything. You know, we went through security, no problem. But this time in October, he, he told me once I was able to, to speak to him, after he was, you know, taken to to the prison there, um, he said that his passport was flagged as stolen, and that's why they detained him. And then the, um, I think while he was being detained, that's then when this warrant, this international warrant, was produced, um, that said he was wanted for for tax related charges. But mind you, like I said before, this warrant didn't exist before this time. Um, we were able, like I said, we were able to travel freely throughout Europe. Um, you know, John is a dual citizen or what, I'm sorry, was a dual citizen of, um, um, the United Kingdom as well as the United States. And so he was able to travel freely, you know, um, obviously showing his passport and he never had an issue up until that, you know, that moment when he tried to, to fly out of the Barcelona airport in October. What happened next? Um, so 
he um we were finally able to speak it took maybe about a week or a week and a half you know for him to get settled in the prison and get phone numbers approved for for him to be able to call out so he was and, about to call you um, yeah he was able to call me three times a day uh the the phone calls were only eight minutes a piece but we spoke every day um and because i also was you know, still in Spain, which I still am in Spain, but I had a Spanish number that he was able to call me on. So um, also his friends that he had here in Spain had um, hired an attorney or gotten an attorney for him who was working on his extradition case. So this is what happened. And he spent uh, nine months in the prison. So in, in in that time, we also hired additional attorneys that could help with the case. So we needed a, a tenant, um, an attorney for the tax related charges. And then there was another um, case that was brought SCC related. And so we had to hire an additional attorney who that was his expertise. So we had two American attorneys, two Spanish attorneys, because we got a second one who was um, more knowledgeable about um, extraditions and also had gone to court against the United States with some of his clients. So we had that. And then we had also um, an attorney in the United Kingdom because of John's dual citizenship. So we had a a team now of attorneys who were working on on the case and trying to figure out how to, you know, um, how to have some favorable results for John in the end. And so uh, we fast forward now to the court date where John was going to be, um, there, there was going to be a decision from the judges about whether or not they were going to grant the extradition, which all of the attorneys, myself and John, we all understood that they were going to grant the extradition. We knew that was a fact, no problem. Um, and and so there, there was already a sort of a plan, a tentative plan in place of what the next steps would be, you know, once that was granted. But we also all understood that John was not going to be extradited the next day, week, month, or year. You know, it was going to take time. So there was no desperation of John feeling like, oh, you know, this is, you know, this is it. They've got me and I'm, you know, I'm so desperate. I have no other options. You know, that's that's not at all what any of us were thinking. You know, um, John was was very much ready to fight the situation. and. and that's how his attitude remained because I spoke to him after he went to court. So I spoke to him that day, the 23rd of June, uh, 2021. I spoke to him that, that day uh, before he went to court and also after he went to court. And and we spoke about you know when the attorney was gonna come and see him and um, what the strategy was, what they had spoken about, you know, what strategy wise the next steps were gonna be. And, um, the last thing he said to me was, I love you and I'll I'll call you later. And so that was around noon on um, June 23rd. And then um, I was on Twitter waiting for that third phone call from John. And um, I got I got a notification of a DM and it was like in all capitals. It said, oh, oh my gosh, or OMG, tell me this isn't true. And um, so I just assumed, obviously, it had to do with John, and I Googled, and, and that's how I found out that you he Googled. was dead. From, 
from Google. Yeah, from a Google search because um, the the prison did not notify myself, nor did they notify his attorney that that he was dead. So, so nobody um, told you. No, no one told me that. I felt well. Someone who DM'd me told me. No, I mean, so I no authority actually contacted you. No. Why were you not able to see him? What do you mean? While he was in prison? Yeah. Why, why were you not able to I, actually I visit was him? Able, oh, I you? was able to visit him. I was, but John didn't want me to. For, because um, for um, security purposes, there was a concern that maybe I might be followed um, to where we were staying. And, and um, also because he said it would be um, hard on him to see me you know, while he was, while he was locked up. So, so, um, we just opted for phone calls. So just to be clear, he was arrested for, t for supposed tax evasion and or then, tax, tax fraud or tax evasion. Some, um, one, one of those. Yes. Sorry. The attorney, the tax attorney said that he would have gotten a slap on the wrist at best, you know, and, and probably had to pay a fine. The tax charges were not serious, which is why I believe they added the SEC charges. Right. Um, because that came that came months later after he was already in there, so that was not a part of the initial arrest. That that came months later, and and it's my opinion that that came because they wanted to make sure that that he was not able to get out of the situation, right? Because the tax the tax charges were not that serious, but when you tack on that SEC situation the, the sec charges i believe were trumped up as well mm. but they were a lot more serious than than the tax thing you know and and undefinitely would have been a little more difficult for um maybe a more more difficult situation to kind of um, navigate through the through the court system so they were obviously trying to take him down yeah obviously they had been um they had been which is why we had to leave america you know, we left America 20, um, January 2019 because John had gotten word of a um, secret grand jury that had been convened um, in regards to John. They, he didn't at the time understand what the charges were, but he later found out once we were in the Bahamas that it was going to be tax related. And so um, and he found this information out from an attorney of his that he had in, in Tennessee who was actually subpoenaed to give testimony um, to this grand jury. And so John being John, you know, he got word of that and, and I'm not sure how he got word of when they may be coming to to our home, but we ended up leaving before that could happen. And we went to the Bahamas because in the Bahamas, um, there is no income tax. And so where, um, so it would have needed to be, for, for, for there to be an extradition, a legal extradition from the Bahamas, the whatever he was whatever crime he was being accused of in america had to be a crime in the bahamas and so since the bahamas didn't have income tax they couldn't come collect him for that so what they did instead was they were attempting to just try to arrest him for anything and we yeah. actually had to go in on in hiding while we were in the bahamas and there was we were able to get footage because we had security cameras on our, on our boat and we would get footage of the uh, Bahamian police coming onto our boat trying to to arrest us but we were already in hiding and so from there we left and went to Cuba 
and we were there for a few months and then john had gotten called in by someone who who was with the military a general within the cuban um military i guess and they said that um they were getting pressure from the from the us um and they were wanting the pressure was them was the us was demanding actually that they that cuba send john back to america and so they this this general said that you know we're not going to do that because obviously Cuba and America for, for obvious reasons don't, you know, there's mm. no cooperation there. And so instead of them sending us back, they actually told John, you know, you have to leave. And they gave us 72 hours to do that. And so we left and we ended up in the Dominican Republic where we were immediately detained. And they said that we tried to come into their country with illegal guns, which, um, like I said, we were immediately detained, so we weren't even able to speak to customs or immigration. And so if you don't speak with immigration, you're not even officially, you haven't officially entered into, you know, a country. What You know, you have to go through that process. Mm. And so we hadn't even done that. So there was no way that we could have brought our guns in illegally. Not to mention that we had no problem traveling with our guns because um, there's pirates on the sea. And so they allow you to carry so many weapons. We had three guns, which were no problem in the Bahamas. They allowed us to keep them on our boat and just said um, that we're not to take them off the boat. In Cuba, they took the guns from us off the boat and they gave them back to us when we left the country. And so, so this wasn't a big deal, you know, you know, where, where we were doing something illegal, you know, we were well within the, the legal, um, the legal flexibility, I guess, of, of carrying our weapons. And so that situation, John was able to get attorneys and they were trying to force John back to America. They were saying, you know, you can't, you know, you can't, um, you can only go back to America. But John was like, well, I have dual citizenship, so I should be able to go back to, mm. you know, the or go to the United Kingdom. And then also, you know, he was saying legally they couldn't force him to go back to America because that's not where he came from. So they could either, you know, they could only legally force him to go back to where he had come from or to um, um, uh, his country of origin, which obviously was the United States or the United Kingdom. And so, but they were absolutely adamant about making him go back to the, the U.S. And so he hired attorneys and they got a judge to, um, to stay this um, deportation, at least until he was able to, you know, have his day in court, basically, which was kind of a reminiscent of what happened when he was in Guatemala. And so um, once the judge granted you know, that stay of the deportation, then, you know, things changed immediately. And they, um, you know, they, they offered a plane ticket, you know, and, and asked John, well, okay, well, where do you want us to send you? And they ended up sending us to the UK. So, so that worked that situation out, but, but obviously those instances, instances or incidences were, I believe the U.S. just trying to to capture him, however they could, and so when they found out that we were actually in Spain, you know, with us flying out initially to, I believe it was Germany, a month before his arrest, and then I'm I'm not sure where this international warrant 
came from, but you know, it was materialized rather quickly because like I said, it hadn't been on the books that entire time. There was no warrant hanging over his head that entire time. So what were you thinking and feeling at the time? Well, leaving America, I was, you know, I was kind of, um, I don't know. I, I just felt like it was the right thing to do because I felt mm. if I stayed in America, that whatever whatever's going on because my i was also named in this uh, indictment i was also listed there um as well as um jimmy watson and then there was three other people that were named in it and so for me i just i just made um an assumption that if i stayed in america and my name being on that on that um indictment that they would then try to collect me as a way to get to john and um, I didn't want to leave myself vulnerable to whatever trumped up charges that they would try to materialize against me in, a, in an effort to put pressure on me to give them whatever it was they thought could help them collect John. And so uh, it was a hard decision because I knew I'd be leaving my children, you know, and um, but it was a decision that I, I think even now looking back on it, it was the right decision to make. Um, and so it was a very stressful time. I just lost my brother, uh, November of 2018. And so, um, and obviously leaving my children, it was extremely stressful. Um, and just not really knowing what, what the future was going to bring, you know, but, but, you know, John, John was just John and he tried to make everybody comfortable and, and he, you know, he appreciated, I think, the fact that I was willing to, you know, kind of stick with him and and stay with him. You know, I didn't have to do that. And, and you know, he gave me that option before we left. You know, he said, well, you know, we have to leave America. And then he said, well, we don't have to, but I have to. And he said, you know, you can make your, your own decision on, on what you want to do, you know, if you want to come with me or not. So, again, in hindsight and looking back, even now, I think it was just the right decision to make. And it was a hard decision, but I think still it was the right one. Have you seen your kids since? Um, not since December, not since Christmas of 2018. We, we spent the week at Disneyland, which, um, you know, John wanted me to do that. So he funded that lovely trip. So we had a nice kind of, for me, it was a goodbye. Well, not a goodbye, but a see you later. You know, because again, I had no idea what was going to be happening, but I wanted to, you know, spend, um, have a good vacation, have a good holiday with them, you know, um, and obviously not being able to tell them what happened, but we do speak regularly. We have been speaking regularly since I had to leave America, but um, physically seeing them in person, it's, you know, been uh, Christmas of 2018. Is it too dangerous for, for you to meet up with them? Um, I just, I've, I just feel like if I leave here without his body, um, it's, mm. you know, anything could happen, you know, and, and I'm not going to risk it. I would love to see them. Um, you know, they just were, you know, high school getting settled into college, all of those things. So I, um, you know, I, I don't think it's dangerous. It's just, you know, the logistics of things, you know, them being in high school, working, 
trying to figure that out. So I think maybe in the future, hopefully I won't be here uh, much longer. That's, that's the goal anyways, because mm. we're, we're looking at knocking on the door of two years now. You know, this is May 2023. And so in June, June 23rd, 2023, it's going to be two years since John died. And I'm, I'm not wanting to be here you know, past that date. So, so hopefully there can be a um, reuniting with my, with my children sooner rather than later. And during this time where you were leaving the U.S., what was John thinking? Was he nervous? Was he worried? Uh, did he know that they were trying to come for him wherever he was? Um, he knew that, that they were after him. He wasn't, he wasn't nervous. He, I, I don't think nervous is, would be a, an apt description of, of any of the time that we mind you, because our time in America was not, um, not without problems as well, you know, maybe not as intense. Um, but, but nervous would not be a good description. I think just focused. Mm. He just was focused on, on the task at hand and how to, um, you know, kind of actively problem solving, you know, while, while we were in it, you know, what, whatever issues were coming up, how to navigate that and, and, you know, kind of collecting whatever necessary pieces or, or putting necessary police pieces in place, you know, or, or kind of um, coming up with it with a tentative plan and then having, you know, um, secondary plans, you know, just in case if something, you know, goes wrong, or whatever. So, so I think that's where he always was, you know, just actively engaged with the situation as it currently was. Why do you think they hated him so much? Um, so, so I, well, I actually don't have to think about this. John, John always said that he felt like his problems were, his problems in America were a continuation of his problems in Belize. And, mm. and what started there was, was not the murder of his neighbor, but it was actually the fact that he had collected information about um, high up officials within the Belizean government and the criminal activities that they were involved in. So human yeah. trafficking, drug trafficking, passport selling, um, murder for hire, all, all sorts of things. And so when you think about the Caribbean and you, you understand how people, you know, there's money laundering things and there's, you know, people have offshore shore accounts, I'm sure in the Caribbean too. When you start to think about that, I think people are knowledgeable enough to, to at least have an, an idea of the type of people that would be laundering money through there or the type of people that would have offshore accounts. And so these, these, this is the information that he had access to. And we're not just talking about criminals, we're talking about politicians as well, you know, worldwide politicians and obviously U.S. politicians. And so, um, and he, you know, my understanding of that was that he was not collecting that information just because he wanted to have it, but he was kind of at war with the Belizean authorities because they had uh, illegally raided his property in the jungle where he was working on a topical antivirus. And he was looking for information that they set him up for that. And instead he found all of this information about illegal activity that was happening. 
And so that is why, because they found out about him. Um, so what he did was he gifted uh, laptops to se secretaries of these uh, various high up officials within the Belizean government. It had malware on it and keystroke bogging information on it. So he was able to get into everything. And um, sure. one of the he had like he hired people that were kind of parsing through the information to look for things relevant to John. And one of the ladies was sleeping with someone within the within the um maybe police or something and she just you know was sharing oh this is what we're doing for john mcafee we're collecting this information and that's how they found out that john had this information and so that started this um not war but he was kind of in hiding since or from um i believe he said may of 2012 and, and leading up to the murder of his neighbor which he said he felt was was a botched hit on him because their properties were next to each other on on the beach, and so he he felt that it was you know um, they went to the wrong house they they got they targeted the wrong American or or, or got the wrong American but they were after, actually after him, and so that's so that is what John ex expressed to me and not not just to me but in many of his interviews that he did. Um, when he goes into depth about it, you know, he, when it, which is why I can recite this so mm. easily as if I was there, but I wasn't there, you know, I'm not Belizean, I'm American, but, um, he's, he's told this story so many times. And so that is what he believed why they were after him, you know, and the story with the dog, um, in Belize, uh, it was there, wasn't it? Yeah, it was actually more than one than one dog. He said um, nine of his dogs actually were poisoned, and he thought it was um, you know the the government you know kind of um, coming after him. That that was his um, opinion at the time, and he didn't know that there was um, a complaint that his neighbor had filed. At least that's what he said. You know that he didn't know that at the time that he had filed a complaint. But he said a lot of the neighbors and a lot of the people complained about the dogs because they barked a lot, and they you know kind of harassed people. But mind you, these were not John's dogs that he brought to the to the island. These were stray dogs that were on the island, mm. and for whatever reason, you know John was a, an animal lover, but dogs obviously he loved them very much, and um, they would just come to his house. <laughs> You know, and so him being who he was, you know, yeah, he took them in and he, you know, he brought them, fed them and, and loved them and, and took care of them. So um, I think he said at the time he had like some like 25 dogs, a lot of dogs, <laughs> you know, and um, yeah, so nine of them were actually were actually poisoned. Um, I think he said that there, there was just some food poison, food with poison in it that was thrown over the fence and some of the dogs ate it. When you guys left the U.S., uh, did you have a lot of friends, or had they become quite, or had you become quite isolated? Um. Well, I guess well, we had security people that were that were with us, um, Bahamian security that John had hired once we were in the Bahamas, and um, some. A few, a few of our friends and security came with us from America and stayed for a little bit. And we always had people, you know, coming over and, you know, John was, was working on different business um, ideas. And so we had people 
coming and then he was running for president it was just it was all very chaotic so we weren't we weren't isolated we had i don't know that i would call them friends but they were um you know friendly obviously you know um but people a lot of the people we had just met you know um but we but we weren't really completely isolated no you're stuck in spain and mm -hmm. for some reason you cannot get john's body yeah. Well, I, yeah. I'm, well, I'm not stuck here. I'm just choosing to stay here because I feel like with with the um, the way that they're dragging the situation out, I just honestly feel that if I left here, then you know who knows what ha will happen to mm. John's remains. You know, if if something has not already happened to his remains. Um, and so the situation is this so when john died um the prison opened up an investigation into his into his death and um based off of the report the official story of him committing suicide is not is not what that report lays out and so i before um before they could close the case, which if I allowed them to close the case, I would not have been able to get the autopsy report. So I asked the attorney to file an appeal to get the autopsy report because it's not normally given. So they don't normally give out the autopsy report when someone dies, but when it's asked for, it's given. And so I asked for it and they, and they told me I didn't need it. And they told me that the toxicology report was enough, which, um, you know, for me, you know, no, that's not enough, you know, so we filed an appeal. And um, so that appeal was filed in, in February of 2022. And so because the courts had dragged out this, you know, the, um, the appeal, and they had dragged out their process of the investigation up until, you know, that point, where, you know, I had to file another appeal. So they've been kind of dragging their feet all along. You know, they've, you know, their investigation, they completed their investigation in July of 2021, as well as the toxicology report of July of 2021. But I didn't get, I didn't start getting that information until, um, I believe, uh, September, October, you know, which didn't make any sense why it was taking so long for me to get that, you know, that paperwork, why they were taking so long to release it. So they've been kind of really dragging, well, uh, maybe not dragging intentionally, but maybe it's just the process is really, really slow, which a lot of people have been saying here, that it's just the Spanish um, judicial system is just slow, and the particular court that's handling the appeal is even more slow. So we're dealing with a little bit of that and dealing with the fact that I'm a foreigner, you know, and I'm, and I'm an American foreigner at that. And so... Um, that might have something to do with it. But anyways, I believe that they're not wanting to release the autopsy report is because either one, either one, they, they didn't do an autopsy or a, a full and complete proper autopsy, or there's something in there that they don't want me or they don't want, you know, the public or the world to know. And so um, that's what I believe the delay is about. You know, obviously, judicial things being as they are, it's going to be slow. It's, things are going to drag out, you know, but um, two years now, you know, it's it's ridiculous. And, and because the investigation into his death is still open, 
the court has decided that they're going to keep his remains. So they're going to continue to hold his remains until I either say, okay, I give up. I don't want the autopsy report, or they give me a decision on whether or not they're going to release the autopsy report. However, I will not be throwing in the towel. You know, I, I want the autopsy report. I want it, you know, especially because they've said that, you know, I, Mm. I don't need, well, well, who are you to tell me what I don't need? You know, and it's very clear that I do need it. Obviously, you know, John was not, you know, I spoke to him and he was not, um, he was not, he didn't sound suicidal at all. And I, I know a lot of people would say, well, how would you know if he was or not? Because I know my husband, you know, I knew him and I knew how he sounded. I knew what we spoke about, you know, and so, um, and not to mention all of the tweets and everything where he said, you know, if anything happens to me, you know, I was whacked basically. Yeah. And so that's sort of a separate issue, you know, that, you know, separate from just, it's just the right thing to do. I want the information. You know, if this is what you say happened, then show me the, the, the evidence of that. Show me the proof of that. And I can only get that through the autopsy report, their autopsy report that they say they have and they're not releasing. And obviously it's because he didn't commit suicide. Yeah, I don't think he did. No, I, I, I'm, I'm willing to bet my life on that fact that he did not. It's exhausting. It's taxing. I am emotionally spent. Um, I'm just worn out. You know, I don't, but, but I'm not going to quit. <laughs> so that's, you know, I, I don't know how to quit anyways, you know, um, but apparently what, what who the court that we appealed to is the highest court. So it would be like the equivalent of the Supreme Court here that we've appealed to. And so once they've rendered a decision, you know, that's kind of it. There's no more appeals to make. And so um, so as far as I wouldn't be quitting, but but whatever their decision is, is, is going to be what it is, you know, because I honestly I don't have the finances to to continue something more and i'm not sure that there's anything more legally i could do once this court renders their decision so um so yeah that's what i'm you know i'm kind of holding out for that's what i'm holding out for for them to give me their decision you know and i won't be leaving here before i have that what about all those uh claims that john didn't die and that he faked his death Well, um, I will say this, if John was alive and if he was on Telegram or wherever else people say that he is, um, telling everyone that he's alive and whatever, then he could have contacted me and said, Hey babe, I'm okay. You know, or just, it's, it's been almost, it's been two years. It'll be two years next month. And I just believe fully that he would have made that known at some point um, to me or, or maybe even to the world at large. Like we, because as you're speaking about this, right, we had that, um, his ex-girlfriend talking about, she, he contacted her and, and asked her to run away with him in the running with the devil documentary. I don't know if you saw that, but it was at the, at the end of the documentary where she made that claim. And then, you know, I see a lot of people on, online talking about, oh, he's on Telegram and, you know, he's 
all of these things and they put up these old videos to as their proof of that but they're all videos and i just believe that john would have said something by now we would have heard something by now if he was alive i do believe it's my opinion um that there might have been a plan for that then that, that could have been a plan obviously i mean we're talking about john mcabee um, so that's not out of the out of, out of the realm of possibility. That's my opinion. It's, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility, but I believe that they killed him instead before that any of that could happen. That's what I believe, and and that's you know kind of also based off of the the surveillance footage I was shown as well when um, when his body was found and and what was done. So I hope that answers. Do you think he might have released information that he had? Um, you know, honestly, I don't I don't know much about the information, like as far as where it was or who had access to it or how it was going to be released. John would have never shared that with me or with anyone, you know, it was kind of what kept him safe. Um, but but I do believe that there would not be like some sort of notification or announcement where it would say, oh, this is where John's, you know, 31 terabytes of information is, or, you know, this is the information that John had. I don't think it would be anything like that. I think John was a big fan of decentralization. And I think if anything, that information would be released in a very decentralized way, where it couldn't be shut down, where it couldn't be tracked, where it couldn't be stopped, you know, from being released. And and again, this is just my opinion, of mm. just based off of you know who I knew John to be. Yeah. So he was truly and genuinely anti-establishment. Yes, definitely. Yes, definitely, for sure, hardcore. Yeah, and he was very much um, a proponent for personal freedom, for financial freedom. Um, he, he really did his best to try to wake people up to the reality of the world around them, to, um, to um, encourage them to divorce themselves from the labels that they put on themselves, whether it's political party, whether it's gender, race, um, religion, whatever it was, to kind of step away from that and just engage other human beings as, as another human being. You know, we all have the similarities, you know, the same likes, loves, you know, aspirations. We, we all have that, you know, in common. And so he just really was, was wanting to wake people up the best he could to the, to the knowledge of the world as it, as it truly is. You know, we all, we all kind of put blinders on and mm. we, we don't want to see the bad things. You know, we want to just, stay in our little bubble where it's safe. And, and he tried to wake people up to that. And, and I hope that, I think, you know, looking through some of his tweets and his old videos, a lot of it seems, I think I've said this online before, but a lot of it seems now prof prophetic, you know, because it, it, it was very forward looking, you know, um, and, and the things that he said and did, you know. And um, I just hope that people are inspired by that. You know, not by so much the salacious things that are said about him, but the, the the heartfelt messages that he really tried to share with people, 
because I think it will hopefully inspire the next generation of free thinkers. You know? What are you doing while you're in Spain? Um, well, for a while there, I was just surviving, you know, um, which I am still doing just kind of honestly, just putting one foot in front of the other, but, um, and, and doing interviews as much as I can. But, but as I stated before, it's, it's really, I'm emotionally spent, mm. you know, and so I'm trying to, um, just trying to keep going, you know, it's, it's hard. It's not easy because having, having to make the tough decision and having this responsibility on my shoulders, you know, knowing that, um, you know, he still hasn't been laid to rest, you know, um, that's kind of what really weighs heavily on me. Um, but I just, I just feel like I really made the right decision. And, um, and so I'm just gonna, yeah, I'm just gonna trust that and, and keep going, you know, keep going. I've, I've found a church of people who are really lovely. Um, um, and, and that wasn't the case before, you know, I just met them um, not not long ago, but up until like about a year and a half ago, I was kind of on my own, just just trying to navigate this grief and making these decisions and doing these interviews and, um, you know, um, so yeah, that's honestly, I've just been trying to take it one day at a time and and honor John you know, the best way that I can, you know, with, with the little bit of strength that I have, you know, left in me with this fight. Tell me some great moments that you had with him. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, there are so many, so many. Um, okay. So one that comes immediately to mind is something with the kids. We, with my kids, we were, we would go and see them um, because they live with my parents in California. And so we would go and visit them. And I remember we were watching, <laughs> we were watching Cinderella with um, Brandy. Um, so the, I guess they would call it the live action anyways. And there was, there was this song that they were singing um, and John was singing it. And the kids, I remember the kids were just really tickled by that. He obviously had a beautiful voice, but um, those were some of the good times that I he remember. He could sing. And, and, yeah, he had a beautiful voice. Um, what else? I think um, our time here in Spain before he got arrested was really nice. Or, well, not just Spain, but in Europe in general. It was nice just because it was the two of us and kind of getting to know each other with just the two of us where we didn't mm. really have that before. So, um, so that was a good time. Um, he was quite a funny guy, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a prankster, a joke, a joker. <laughs> he liked it. He liked to prank people a lot, but, um, and I guess, you know, another time was what it would have been the campaign trail. That was really amazing. Just getting to see John, um, in a different light, you know, where he was kind of more serious and more, he was, there was more of a focus, you know, he had a, you know, he's really focused and it was just inspiring to see, to see him. But I think there were just so many good times that it's hard to nail mm. it down. But I guess maybe something that I liked the most about John was his 
ability to not give any fucks. Sorry <laughs> if I'm not allowed to curse. But um, that was probably my most favorite uh, characteristic characteristic of John. Just, um, and then also his brutal honesty, even though it could be it could hurt a little bit, you know, that honesty. But, you know, I, I always knew that I would get the truth from him no matter what, mm. you know, and I appreciated that. So, yeah, there's just so much to say about him. And, you know, and it's hard to really just nail down a thing, you know, um, because I, I will always cherish each and every day that we spent together, even the bad days. You know, um, he was just such a special man, such a special man. How long were you married? We were married five years and we were together for almost 10, oh, nine. Yeah. So what's next then for, for, for Janice McAfee? Um, so I know it's a, I know it's a tricky question. I apologize. Yeah, it is. Um, so for now, just, just this situation, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Um, just this situation here, getting his body, laying him to rest. Um, where do you, sorry, where, where would you like to lay him to rest? Um, in America, obviously, back in America. Um, and, um, yeah. So, yes, back in America, but, um, sorry. Um, um sorry. You know, once once that happens, then you know I don't know. I like I honestly don't know. I'm so consumed with um, the situation here that it's it's difficult to say what what is next. But I know obviously a book um, to just kind of obviously tell the story of of me and John, John and I's story, and. You know, obviously there's things I, I want to do with my life, you know, just because of my past. I want to help women, women who are being trafficked, women in abusive relationships. Um, but I but I honestly can't even give that any real thought because I'm, mm. I'm just this situation is just so it's all consuming. You know, it's and so it, that's my focus right now, you know, just getting getting his remains and, and getting the autopsy and, um, you know, telling, telling the world, you know, what happened to him, you know, what they did to him here. And do you think it's something that he would have wanted? Yeah, I do. I think, I think also he would have wanted me to, to go on, you know, to go on living, which obviously I'm going to do, but, but he's so, he's just such an integral part of me, you know, of, of you know, um, it's not that long that we were together, but it felt like so many, like a hundred lifetimes, you know, just uh, with the magnitude of things that were happening in our lives, you know, um, it was such a huge part of my life. And so I, I will always carry that with me and carry him with me. And, um, Maybe that's not something that he would have wanted necessarily because he would have wanted me to move on and be happy mm. and, and all of that. But but he's just, just such an important part of, of 
my story that I will always carry him with me and gratefully and 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 with it honorably you know with honor to carry him with me and and try to continue to just spread his message of of freedom you know personal freedom financial freedom and and hopefully to as he did you know inspire the next generation of free thinkers you know we don't need any more slaves you know we need free thinkers we need to make um critical thinking cool again like make that let's make that a thing again you know <laughs> where we're we're using the brains that we have you know and not just blindly following um you know um the culture or blindly following what's popular blindly following what our political leaders or celebrities or whoever are telling us follow our heart you know, and actually that'll be the thing that i say something that john always said you know do what you love do what you love in life you know follow your heart you know because in that you know and you you'll never be steered wrong you know you'll be steered in a in a, the direction that will not only just benefit you and your family and your loved ones but that can benefit the world at large you know or whether that's maybe locally your community at large or or maybe even yes the world at large but i think we need to get back to that get back to the heart of, of um, ourselves and that will kind of bring us back together there's so much division happening in the world right now and um, I think that's the way to unite us, you know. Make critical thinking great again. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Janice, yeah. when all of this is over, you must promise that you will make an effort to come and visit South Africa and we'll go for lunch. Yeah, I would love to. Um, that's actually something like not a bucket, not, not a bucket list sort of thing but it's something that i would like to do before you know um before my life is over i would love to obviously go back to africa for obvious reasons you know um my you said go back I'm, have you been uh, sorry I interrupted not you. go back well <laughs> i guess go back in the sense that that's where my ancestors came from um and when now i've not been able to trace it back that far but definitely my family it came through to america through um through england so through the slave trade was where my my family um how they made it to america and so that's what i mean by go back is is to trace back you know to um to the motherland if you will you know and, and not even just for that reason just just because there's so much history there Mm. so much history there and so um yeah so definitely i will look you up if i happen to make it there um yeah you haven't visited the continent yet have you no not yet not yet <laughs> well i think you would love it it's it's very chaotic <laughs> <laughs> listen i'm used to chaos <laughs> yeah that's why i'm saying that <laughs> If I wanted to follow you or follow your story or something along those lines, how, how can I go about doing it? Um, so I'm on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at the Mrs. McAfee is my handle there. I'm also on Instagram at official Janice McAfee. Um, also, there's been a foundation created, the John McAfee Foundation.org. You can go there and stay updated with what's happening. And that foundation was just kind of created in John's honor to continue to further his legacy and his message 
of freedom, personal freedom and privacy and technology, and also to kind of keep people up to date of, about what's happening here in Spain and how they can um, um, assist with, with the things that are happening here. So those are the various ways that you can follow and, and stay up to date with what's happening. Janice McAvee, thank you so much for joining me in the trenches. Thank you for having me here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.